episode 101 with the great virtuoso and stunt guitarist for Michael Jackson. <laughs> Jeff Beck and solo artist Jennifer Batten is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Also on hand, we have Gretchen Men for her return to the podcast. I'm sure we can cajole her to uh, maybe contribute a little bit. She better. This show is also brought to you by the Men Batten Brosh Tour, which is still in effect. The Tri-City Trifecta. I just made that up. It's actually Batten Men Brosh. <laughs> Batten Men Brosh. But I, I thought, I know I saw posters. Yeah, we confused people. We're just, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, just yeah. keeping it complicated. <laughs> Batten Men Brosh. You got to check this out. Jennifer Batten, Gretchen Men, and Neely Brosh each doing a set. And then who knows what else at the end of the night. Two more shows left in California tonight in Malibu at Casa Escobar. You can catch this show. It's November 8th. And of course, Saturday night, November 9th, up in Nevada City, more Northern California at Miner's Foundry. Tell them you heard about it on No Guitar Is Safe. All right, let's pretend that we're not already at Gretchen's house, who is hosting the great Jennifer Batten. And we're going to fly the copter up to Northern California, near San Francisco. Daniele Guitardo is also in the house, Gretchen's husband now. So I must say congratulations to anyone out there in podcast land who doesn't know this wonderful bit of mazel tovness. <laughs> so this is crazy for me. We've got Gretchen here, Daniele, we've got Jennifer Batten, and we've got two cats with, I would say, 40 sharp claws between them. I'm surrounded by a bunch of shredders. <laughs> <laughs> Gretchen's got the laser pointer out. And uh, it's and, funny and because- And Jennifer's chasing it. <laughs> oh, that was Jennifer making that racket. It keeps Jennifer, you know. <laughs> Jennifer, you're hilarious. You've always cracked me up. And uh, I noticed on one of your entries on your webpage, like you're telling somebody about, you know, if you, it's like your gear page or something. Yeah. You've got the picks and the pedals and everything. Like the second entry is like your cat litter. My or, favorite cat litter, yeah. Like your, the clumpiness and the absorption ratios. and. I, I have to say I made that question up. <laughs> that, that did not come. <laughs> that wasn't a real. Organically. Yeah, just, just to break it up and be stupid because I enjoy being stupid. I love that. I love the, the Jen Tourette's. <laughs> is it true that you once, I have this on good authority, mailed some lacquered cat turds to somebody once? <laughs> or would you like to How not have this? How the hell did you find that out? I know a keyboard player that played with you. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, actually, it was dog shit. Oh, yeah. shit. That's way worse. And we, we would do this thing where every year we would take used Christmas cards and scratch out the message and send it to new people. We had a clique of people that would do that sort of thing. And I thought it was really funny to lacquer dog shit and give it to them for Christmas. Because we'd always, like, I had it in a giant box that was in a smaller box and smaller, smaller, smaller. And the very last box was a turd. And he didn't think it was as funny as I did. Wow, this is how we start podcasts off. <laughs> this is how we do it, folks. <laughs> Not as if you weren't enough of my hero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you guys are all my heroes. Daniele, who just made me a wonderful Italian espresso right here. As if I'm not already energized enough to be here talking with Jennifer. I've wanted to do this for a long time. I know you live up in Oregon. I Finally, escaped. I escaped you escaped LA. Hollywood. Yeah. You kicked Hollywood's ass. Oh, man, 20 and years then... was 19 too many. <laughs> uh, I love the way you say stuff. Like you have two whammy pedals on whammy damage, and you're like, there's a last time for everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah, if at first you do not succeed, skydiving is not for you. <laughs> Early bird gets the worm, second mouse gets the cheese. Ah. We're getting dark here, but by the way, I got to give props to you at Guitar Speak Podcast. That's where I heard you say that wonderful expression, last time for everything. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask you guys, I've got Gretchen here with you. First show, I haven't, I, I just cruised up here today, haven't heard anything about the show, haven't been on social media. This is a big deal. You've been putting this together for months. you got Michael Melinda helping you out with guardiansofguitar.com, and I know he hosted, and uh, you did it. Three sets last night. First show was last night in San Francisco. How did it go? It was a real blast. I, the energy, I mean, the, the room was full of love. I could feel the love. Palpable. Yeah, it, it was just great, and I have such respect for, for Neely and Gretchen, uh, they, we did a podcast a, I don't know, a few months ago, and so that kind of planted a seed. Hmm, we should do something else. And so they approached me about doing a tour. I said, sure. What did you like about watching uh, Gretchen and Neely play? What, now that you've, I mean, this might have been the first time you saw them do a full set. Yeah. What do you take away from Gretchen and Neely? Seeing women that did their homework, man, put years and years into the craft and have original voices. It's it's inspiring. It inspires me to see that sort of thing. And so it fired me up. You know, I think that's the ultimate thing that any, any musician wants is to be fired up by other people, to be inspired. And I know when, when people, after a show, I mean, nobody's going to approach you, or at least not too many, that say, ah, you sucked. But when somebody comes up and says, you played great, that's, that's one thing. But when they say, I was really inspired, then it's like jackpot, because I know how that makes me feel. So that's what the night was. It was just like one thing after another. Then we played at the end and took it to a new zip code. I was wondering, Gretchen, what was the f- people were wondering? What are they going to do at the end? Three of them going to come on stage, you and Neely and Jennifer. What happened? What happened is I sat there with my jaw on the floor as I looked over <laughs> at two of my favorite guitar players, um, along with my bass player, Anna Pfeiffer, and drummer, Tom Perry, and was just um, like so humbled to be on stage with those people they I mean they played great I mean Jennifer like took like this epic solo journey I was like okay so never again am I gonna go for the second solo (laughs) um but it was it was really such I was inspired to be on stage with them for sure what song did you guys play or did you have something worked out for this encore or we, we did uh, Brush With The Blues, Jeff Beck. Sweet. And because Neely and I both have the Michael Jackson thing in common, she did the Cirque du Soleil Michael show. We did The Way You Make Me Feel. Beautiful. Yeah, Neely Brosh has been on the show too. And when I interviewed her, it was like I went to see the show and it was amazing to see her up there. I was like, you know, tears were in my eyes. She's, mm. I don't know if you got to see it or I not. I didn't see her with that show. So many big guitar moments and she's up there crushing every lick. Right. You know, it was really wonderful. Were there any comic moments last night or any unexpected? Oh, any? yeah. For my show, <laughs> I hit go and there was no sound. Because <laughs> I, I do the, the solo multimedia show between the band sets. And, some you know, sound check is always fine. And then it's time for the show. And sometimes when you fire a computer back up, the, the projector will hijack the sound. And so it's not coming out the yeah. headphone jack. And that's what happened. So... You know, I, I'm sure there's been times in the past when that's happened where I just go, oh, crap, and just start sweating. And it's just comedy anymore. And I just start having a conversation with the audience while I reboot and get it together. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people who, like, and this is coming from me personally, too, because I was curious, our band, Jefferson Starship, we're 
we got a bunch of new video stuff, all this material, and I thought of you because you always have these great videos that you mm. constructed and made yourself and edited together. What tips do you have for somebody who wants to travel as you do? You got off the plane yesterday, went straight to the gig, plugged in the laptop. What have you learned after doing this for like eight or ten years of, of having the multimedia show? I actually did bring, I, I always bring projectors, and I did bring a screen for this. I, I usually don't fly with a screen. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> well... It's because not every house system is going to talk to my computer. And, and plus, I bring two of everything because you've got to have a backup. In fact, I bought two volume pedals, and Southwest Airlines managed to break them both. So both of your volume pedals? That was pedals? a panic yesterday. A friend of Gretchen's went and bought me a volume pedal and saved the show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, bastards. Anyway, putting put the film show. Um, yeah, I, after I played with... Michael Jackson for 10 years, and then three years with Jeff, I thought, well, that's the bucket list, and I'm still yeah. alive, so what am I going to do now? And I saw, thought of um, what it would take to put a band together, and how all the neurosis of all my past bands, and you know, band drama, and people not learning their stuff came flooding to me, and I thought, there's got to be a way I can at least start doing my own material by myself. And I looked out there, and at that time, Khaki King was doing a solo thing, and Adrian Legg, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't sing, and I don't have enough acoustic songs to do a show. I've done a bazillion clinics playing to tracks, but that's not a good enough show. So I started thinking, video. I had to play to video, and I didn't put videos together at that time, so I put out the word for a year and a half on Google Ads and uh, contacting film schools around the world. And after all that time, I ended up with four films. And that makes for a very short show. So one of the guys that turned in a film showed me how to do it. And I just became completely obsessed with it. And now I have over three hours of films I made. And it's, it's just a fun way to go. Um, I, I don't have to schedule anybody but me. And I, I take everything in a laptop and projectors and ha can have a show anywhere as long as it's yeah. dark. RV life, right? Get the RV cooking Yeah, I, did. I bought a motorhome. I, I looked in what it would cost to, to rent one, and it was like a grand a week. And uh, so I, I'm paying three sixty five a month for the rest of my life, but it, <laughs> <laughs> psychologically it feels much cheaper. That's great. And I, I cross paths with Jesse Solomon sometimes. I know that he okay. sometimes works with you on the road. And, and that's oh, he super, saved me. Yeah. One tour. Yeah. We went around. Awesome cat. We did almost every Sam Ash in America. And I, my knee just went to hell jumping off a drum riser during a James Brown song when we were demoing the Fishman triple play and he had Wait, to drive you jumped off a drum riser at a guitar clinic I I got excited I'm sorry I think that's <laughs> that is, James Brown <laughs> that's like officially over the you know above and beyond the call of duty right there <laughs> and below yeah well it, it was unwise as it turned out and I, oh, I couldn't drive the rest of the tour so I'm sorry yeah. <laughs> Well, since you're holding your one of your great guitars, is this your main axe? And can we hear a couple notes? I mean, this it is, is yeah. so wonderful that you plugged in your rig. And I was amazed at how quickly you plugged it in because I know you get a million sounds out of it. And, you know, I'm still plugging in my cables and you got your whole setup. All yeah, done. this is the Washburn Parallax guitar I've, I've had for a couple of years. Now, I literally thought you hit the hit your bar on that downward bend there, but that yeah. was your... your uh, the whammy pedal. The whammy pedal. I love it, yeah. I, Do that again. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's so fun because if you bend chords any other way, they're not going to... The strings will drift differently. Oh, and forget about it, tune, yeah. But 
Yeah, yeah. I wish they made these in shoes, you know, so I could <laughs> actually walk around the stage. But I slide is something I adore. Derek Trucks, yeah. forget about it. Dwayne Allman, I, I listened to that forever. And I, I could never get a grip on it. Um, plus, I was always losing them. So being able to bend a whole step down, usually I set it for a whole step down with my foot, just gives me a whole new world. Plus, it gives you harmonics, natural quote-unquote harmonics that you can't get any other way. Right. Oh, wow. can't believe I never... And it gives you a low D without having to detune, so if you have a locking nut... Man, you're blowing my mind. I'm all about the shortcut, baby. Yeah, and and speaking of shortcuts, you have the ultimate shortcut shortcut tube amp because I have one of these too. I guess yeah. the power section is analog, but it's got yes. a preamp tube. It's a blue guitar amp one. I love these. I literally opened two shows for Boston in arenas through a four by twelve using just that. They had a yep. Marshall there, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to use my blue guitar. And uh, I see you're using you're using one right this moment, going into Gretchen's four by twelve here. She pulled out of the garage. <laughs> yeah, that that amp was love at first play. I, I knew Thomas Blug from a couple different trade shows around the world. I think I met him in China. And he was a super friendly guy, and we, we got along great. And I ended up having a day off when I was staying with a friend in the north of France. And he said, you know, Thomas lives right across the border in Germany. Let's go visit. That's so cool. My first thought was, I, I really don't know him that well just to show up. But anyway, we ended up going to his house, and he had just finished the prototype of the Amp 1. And he showed it to me, and my mind was just exploding. And I plugged in and said, when can I have one? I, 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 in fact, I'm his first sale. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and uh, I love it. I, I put it in my yeah. carry-on. So I, I got 100 watts, four channels, MIDI-capable, analog, essentially vintage Marshall in yeah. my purse. And yeah, it's so amazing. I mean, Thomas, I first saw him at the 2009 NAMM show in January. I was walking down the aisle on a Saturday. There's this dude with like a... 60s strat just crushing it yes because he designed so much stuff for Houston Kettner he's been on the show too shout out to Good. Thomas great guitar player and genius designer yeah and a real sweetheart of a guy yes yeah. great combo so yeah I've been using that yeah. ever since it was invented and I, I will never go back now Gretchen I know that you might maybe you first encountered Jennifer Batten when she was on the cover of I think it was the July 89 issue what a well, memory Jesus <laughs> well I was gonna say my god oh I know <laughs> having worked for guitar player I have every single issue memorized for the last 50 years wow i, I bet you i do. think there's a help group for that <laughs> maybe i researched a little bit last night but, uh, <laughs> i mean isn't it crazy now you have one of your heroes staying in your guest room what's that i mean is, is that surreal or it, it feels surreal until you hang i mean obviously jennifer is like the coolest person in in the universe so um yeah yeah it's awesome i mean it's yeah i i remember when i was first getting into guitar and my dad's like check out these back issues you know this woman like kills it and i was like oh right on and i think that was the issue that had flight of the bumblebee for you know eight finger tapping transcribed and i had been playing for like a week I'm like, cool, let me try this out. <laughs> that song is nuts. Yeah, I no. don't torture myself with that anymore. Of course, we all want to know, how did you record the Bumblebees at the beginning of your album version? No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
It is nuts. Can you play a little bit of it anymore? Uh, just, I can do a teaser. Yeah, tease. Some sort. Because I, I honestly would love to see it with my own two eyes because I don't believe that it's actually possible. Right now, once and for all. <laughs> How many weeks did it take you to put that together? You know, interesting enough, I, probably months, but uh, I ended up trying several different fingerings, and then all of a sudden I had to play it with a click, and oh, God, I had to start over. Because I, I was doing groups of five for this chromatic run. Like, uh, like that, and... <laughs> It wasn't coming out in fours, so it, right. it was messed up. So I had to refinger some things and start over. The metronome is a great teacher. Metronome is a bastard. Now we all know that you got your mind blown when you saw the Beatles as a small child on Ed Sullivan yeah. start playing guitar. What was the first moment? Do you remember the first time you had like a deep experience playing guitar when you made some kind of breakthrough? What was that? Mm. I remember. Instead of a day, I remember the era uh, when I would spend a good portion of my uh, allowance to go get the blues cutout records. And once I figured out those three chords and that I, you know, the pentatonic I could use that would fit over all of them, I was just in heaven. And that, that was jamming in the bedroom for years doing that. Me and B.B. King, we're like this. <laughs> were you in San Diego area by that point? Where did you end? Yeah, I uh, moved from New York when I was uh, nine, couldn't get any gigs, so I moved west. <laughs> yeah, San Diego from nine to, I don't know, 20 or something. Now, of course, you ended up at GIT. There's a famous story of, of you know, you had the women's bathroom as a reverb chamber all to yourself. <laughs> yeah. I would say now, having been involved for the last seven years, you might have to share it with three or four people. I mean, if you took out the vocal program and the right, yeah. recording program, just the guitar program alone. There's, you know, maybe, I don't know, five or six women each quarter, maybe a little yeah, more. Yeah, so out of balance. It's crazy. I could be wrong. There might be more. Somebody correct me if I am. I actually, this is, we, this is episode 101, which is appropriate because I took the 101 kind of sort of up here. No, mm. I took the copter. What am I talking about? Took the <laughs> helicopter. Busted. <laughs> but, yeah, so, but for 100, I kind of did an inventory and I had about, I think, nine women, so... All right. Or my percentage That's almost is good. 10%. At like a yeah. professional guitarist. Right. I, th I was thinking I need to get get a few more more often. Well, there so. there's more being birthed every day, man. There's not yeah. a month that goes by that I don't hear about some seven year old in some remote part of the world that has ridiculous chops. It's yeah. it's really inspiring. The internet has changed it all because yeah. people can just dial up anybody and and be inspired instantly. So you're at GIT, and I, I totally relate to that story. And in high school, I had the best stairwell, me and my buddies, and it had a beautiful window with a view on the third floor, the best reverb. Mm. We would play there and like cut other classes to practice <laughs> guitar for hours at Berkeley High School. I know that you were initially really into the jazz you did a jazz version of giant steps on on your yeah. record above below above below and beyond. beyond yeah above below and beyond yeah Jazz, please. You 
have the right to remain free. And then, of course, I guess you discovered The Rock. You introduced a rock version of Giant Steps. Both of them blow my mind. <laughs> Thank you. Kick it! Why were you not into rock, or how did you suddenly make this shift? Uh, I think it was when I decided I wanted to go to GIT, and they had a guitar symposium. It was I ended up going to the third class they ever had. So the Advertising Guitar Player Magazine uh, guitar symposium that was three days over a weekend, and I went up and had my mind blown, didn't understand anything. There was monster jazz players, um, Howard Roberts, Joe DiOrio, Ron Eshte, and they all did clinics. And I ended up kind of on a lark taking the test to get in, and I flunked miserably. Uh, I had been taking guitar lessons since I was eight years old, and you know, in the local music shop, I would learn how to read out of the Mel Bay books and learn some basic songs. The family would move. I end up with another teacher and learn maybe fingerstyle techniques and this and that, but I didn't know the tools of the trade. I didn't know a major chord scale. I, I didn't know the difference between a G7 and G major 7. So they said, ah, oh, you're not quite cooked <laughs> yet. So I went back to San Diego and studied with Peter Sprague, and that, that really got me up to speed. He was having me learn Chet Baker solos and breaking them down and got all the diatonic scales together because I didn't know anything more than blues scales at that point. So when I, I went back in six months and was able to get in, but I was at the bottom rung. I had never done a gig before, but I, I worked my ass off and, and got the most improved player award, which if you super suck is not that difficult to do. <laughs> but is also a statement of some badassery, you know. Well, I put in the hours yeah. for sure. Of course, Emmett Chapman came to GIT and demonstrated the Chapman stick, which is quite an involved tapping instrument. And then Steve Lynch, who went on to form Autograph, I guess indoctrinated you to more like rock tapping. Yes. And uh, it's funny, you must have graduated with Dan Gilbert. He was in my class, yes. And he has a funny story where he was at graduation and he played, everyone played, and Dan is like probably the greatest GIT teacher of all time. I mean, he's still Mm. there full time. He's so devoted. Decades. And, um, but his dad to this day still says, so what's that guy Steve Lynch up to anyway? Oh, Because <laughs> he was there at the graduation. And, uh, okay. And, and yeah, as yeah. you've mentioned before, Steve did some very impressive uh, tapping kind of stuff, I guess, at the graduation. I recently did a gig with Jefferson Starship and Autograph on the oh, same no bill. Wow. Steve's out there doing it. So Good. I finally met him. And now to hear you talking about him too. Um, so I guess he yeah. informed your playing at that time. He was the token rock player in that school because everybody was pretty much focused on jazz. And all the teachers, there's Joe Diorio and Ron Ashtay were bebop and Don Mock was the fusion guy. And there was no no rock at all. Um, and I remember at one point, we all had to transcribe a solo and play it live. And 
everybody did jazz stuff as I did as well and and he did because we ended as lovers and my floor my jaw was on the floor and it sounded so good the bending the oh, the gain that he had was wonderful and then yeah like you said after Emmett Chapman came and did a clinic 59 of us went to that clinic and thought uh we're just trying to get these strings down with this tuning so no thanks I mean it was interesting but nobody wanted to pick up a stick or anything and then Steve it planted a, a seed in his head and he just started experimenting with tapping with the right hand from what he saw Emmett do and the stuff he was doing sounded so fresh to me and so innovative I knew I wanted to dig in but the GIT curriculum was so intense I couldn't put one minute aside from what I was supposed to learn so as soon as I graduated I moved back to San Diego and sent him a letter and said, please, let me know how to do this. He sent me a cassette tape, that shows you how long ago it was, of I think three tunes he had worked out, and I tried to learn his solos, and at that time I was only using an index finger, and it sounded terrible, and I had a blister, and it's like, okay, I can see I need that a face-to-face. That means you were practicing. <laughs> well, I was, but next thing I, I drove up to L.A. to get a lesson with him. And that just opened up everything. When he explained and broke it down what he was doing, I just took off. And then I ended up with blisters on all my right-hand fingers for a while. Man, that was a really innovative era. And then maybe a couple years later, like it reminds me of Frank Gambale shows up. And he's another guy who's got this new style, sweeping. Yeah. And he's like the authority on it. Or he's just, it's flowing through him. And he's showing people in the halls of GIT this amazing thing. That was quite an era. And sometime in that era, and uh, this is Beth Marlis's version, our good friend. She's a, now a vice president at Musicians Institute mm. and a um, good friend of all of ours, I'm sure. You know Beth Gretchen? I don't know if you've met a couple times. but Yeah, I mean, I definitely know who she is. Yeah, we all got to hang. But she's, the way she told it was she came home one day and there was a voicemail on her answering machine. Yo, Michael Jackson is looking for a female lead guitar player, or maybe it was just a lead guitar player. But And she said she was like... 15 minutes late, you were already on your way to the audition or something. <laughs> she blames you ever since. Uh, that's that's I don't her know funny that side retelling. Of the story. <laughs> yeah, she, you know, she thinks, man, I, I could have been. Uh, but so anyway, you get this call. Maybe Steve Travato forwarded you this audition. I know you showed up. There's a video camera. And yeah. I'm paraphrasing some of your, your life story here because I'm not going to make you tell it for the 10,000th <laughs> time. For it. It's out there in a million places. Yeah. But yeah, you're playing some funk. What were what were some of like the rhythm stuff that you were playing for them on that on that videotape? You know, at first they asked you to play rhythm. I mean, this was many many years ago. But I, yeah, the first thing they said play some some funky rhythm stuff because that's going to be ninety five percent of what you play on the show is just supporting and playing those parts that were on the record. And the one thing that I do remember is um, uh, Jeff Beck. Yeah, so Very nice. that was part of it, and some stuff I had been working on when I was yeah. at GIT. Well, I love that you have always had funk in your playing, like even when you did a Michael Jackson cover, gonna be starting something. Yeah.
um, others tunes. See what's that one? Secret Lover. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's got that funk groove, which I dig so much, in addition to the shred and the prog and the virtuosity. And then, of course, I think they had you maybe, or you just decided to demonstrate the Beat It solo or something. Well, I thought he might find that useful. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I struggled to learn that, man. I, I'll never forget. I was at a band rehearsal in San Diego, a cover band. And we were setting up gear, and the radio was on, and Beat It came, and we were all setting up, setting up, and then it comes to the solo, and everybody just stopped and looked at each other like, what the hell was that? Because it did not sound like the normal pop song worked out solo. It sounded so adventurous and off the cuff and all these new techniques, and it was like, holy shit. So I went home and tried to learn it and failed and then tried and failed and tried and failed, and I finally got it. I had one of those Marantz tape decks, where you could take the audio down an octave, or down, slow it down, right, but right. it would, so, you know, it wasn't digital. So, so it runs at half the speed, but it's down an octave, so you're in the same yeah. key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used, yeah. To, I used to do that all the time by taking records and slowing down to 17, from 33 to 17. Yeah. It's almost exactly an octave below. Well, that was real helpful, and I, I ended up learning it and playing it in my cover band for maybe a couple years before I moved to L.A., and... And that, that was when I got to LA, it was 84, and then 87, I got the, the audition. And I ended the, the demo, well, the demo, the audition with playing Beat It. And I also did Giant Steps at that, too, because I was working on that for my first record, too. And um, 20 years later or something, there's a guy named Steve Swirsky that's doing a documentary on female guitar yeah. players, and he dug up... Um, I gave him the information on the guy that had filmed the the audition, and he dug up the film. And there was a piece mm-hmm. of paper in the box with Michael's notes in it, and he had a star next to my name and put great. And it was, that was so cool to see all these years later. Michael Jackson puts a star next to your name. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, image, 80s. What did you look like on that? I was a hopeless geek. So... Oh. Yeah, completely clueless. And and I was really lucky, too, that Michael had been in show business long enough. He he had a vision of what I could become. And, well, for everybody, really. He hired an artist to draw up a look for all the performers. And they drew up costumes and drew up yeah. hairstyles and makeup and everything. And then they would get the crew, the makeup crew, the hair crew, the, um, the wardrobe people to yeah. bring those paintings to life. And, and uh, I was transformed, you know. And I used to think, oh, God, women that dye their hair, what losers. And all of a sudden, I'm <laughs> platinum blonde going, well, there's a new attitude. <laughs> Your hair is still incredible. Like walking in today, like, wow. First thing I tell you is you look incredible. Awesome. Well, well, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, Michael branded me. Yeah. So, you know, it's just kind of the thing that I was given because I, I didn't have a clue about any of that stuff before. No, anyone on earth possibly doesn't know what we're talking about here you gotta watch the 93 super bowl show i think this might have been one of the biggest guitar performances in terms of people watching somebody blaze on an electric guitar maybe ever it's estimated 1.3 billion people in 86 countries watch you rock out with michael jackson and it wasn't like you were just in the background you're all over the stage with him getting blown up by like you know, pseudo pyro. It's like fog machines and stuff. Yeah. But like the very first note, like it's just, I don't even know if I'd seen it before. I got chills watching this last night hmm. and I watch every Super Bowl. I don't know how I missed it. I think that was right when I was out gigging in the early nineties. Hmm. Um, 
you know, it's unbelievable. Michael comes out and he does that thing where he just stands there staring for like three minutes and the crowd is just freaking out. He doesn't even blink. And he turns his head. They start... And then yeah. the, after all that... Have you seen this recently? After all that tension, the first thing I really hear is a blazing guitar, which is you. And there's yeah. your hair that we're talking about. I mean, that probably needs a separate <laughs> business class seat. I mean, that hairdo, I mean, it's like two feet above uh, your head. Yeah, um, it's kind of high maintenance, but... Yeah, yeah. So what was that day like for you? Um, I mean, it was, I think everybody's dream is to play Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, for me, it was really, really exciting because I, I, I still remember how it felt because it was so different from the shows that we were doing. It was a one-off thing. I knew it was going out to a lot of people. It's the only time I ever felt that Michael was nervous. And we would do these rehearsals running to the middle of the stage because you have the time of a couple of potato chip commercials to get a stage assembled and jump nuts. on. Yeah, it's crazy. And so somebody would say, go. And two people had each part of the stage on wheels and they would haul ass and run with their piece to the center of the field and then assemble them. Then the band would jump on. And it was just super exciting. Had you guys practiced that assembly for a few days ahead of time? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. The drill. Yep. Wow. And, and the medleys, because it was very different from anything we were doing in the show. Really? In fact, most of the stuff that happened that day, I didn't know it was going to happen. There was impersonators in the scoreboards that would come out in a puff of smoke. I had that no idea. Incredible. That was if, incredible. If you look at that video, yeah. you can see me in the background looking to the side with a cloud over my head going, yeah. holy shit. The first <laughs> thing you see is Michael appearing in a puff of smoke on the top of some lighting structure, and you're like, there he is. Yeah. Then you realize Psych. there's four of them, and yeah. they're all impersonators. And then the real one, now I'm remembering... Michael's entrance right in front of you just pops up on some sort of catapult like yeah. 12 feet in the air. And they call like, that the toaster. Pop. Yeah, yeah, the toaster, man. Like a Pop-Tart. He just comes. That's just an incredible moment. Is there any unpleasant part about playing a gig like that? Like, I mean, it's just, does the stress outweigh it? Or, I mean, or is it just all fun? And- uh, well, I would say the bad tour was the best of all because everything was new. It was all exciting. Everywhere we went... I know you did three world tours with yeah. Michael. Was that the first one? The bad tour was, yeah. And that, that was 87. We, were, we weren't out a year and a half straight, but the total was a year and a half. In fact, we started in Japan, and after we'd gone to Europe and a bunch of other places, we reworked the whole show because more hits had been released. And then we went back to Japan with a whole new show in the same tour. Wow. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, I... I never assumed that he would pick me again. I, I would just went about my business, trying to work on my career. And then I got a call for the Dangerous Tour in '92, and then again in, for the History Tour in '97. Kept your hair long, or <laughs> kept Ke- it long just in case the phone rings again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I recently, you know, I do do a lot of touring, and as we all know, Gretchen, you, you get a lot of perks when you're touring. Sometimes mm. they could be really small perks, but like I went to, we played an amusement park recently and they would walk us up to the front of the line at the roller coasters and walk us straight on and skip like the top A-list roller coaster at the place. Great. For me, it's like so cool. Yeah. For you guys, what did they do for you guys? In oh, he shut down Disney. the Tokyo Disneyland for us for a couple hours. Yeah, we were so spoiled. Oh my God. I, I just don't wait in lines anymore. Forget about it. Because I know what it's like not to. It's like that commercial where they where you're in first class and you're like, oh, I can never fly coach again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a blast. I mean, normally people wait an hour or two to get on the roller coaster and we just popped on. And when we were done, they go, well, want to go again? Because there's nobody else here. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a nights like that or once in a lifetime. 
And Definitely. and he had recently done the Captain EO film, so we got a, a viewing of that as a band. It was it was gas. Incredible. I know Greg Howe subbed for you yeah. for a few shows. He's been on this podcast yeah. as well. And it was funny, I was asking him about like advice for somebody who suddenly lands a big stadium gig, as was the case with him. Suddenly he's hopping into the stadium band. Mm-hmm. I don't think he had in-ear monitors. He mentioned like one of the, the first shows, he ended up way out on the wing of the stage and he was hearing the audio. Oh, jeez. The PA was bouncing off the back wall, so he ended up jamming to the wrong band. Oh, no. So, and the bass player looks over at him and is like, you know. Come back, <laughs> come back. Listen to us, not that the poor reflection. Man, I, I wouldn't have taken on the stress that he took on, but I knew he could do it. So he was my pick. I'm like, my mother was very ill, so before I even signed on to the history tour, I said, I'm, at some point, I'm going to have to leave. So um, I put a, a recorder in front of my amp, and we were in somewhere in Eastern Europe, and so I so he could hear and know my parts oh, as opposed right, right. to David Williams was the That's other guitarist. Very thing. thoughtful. And I sent it to him through Express Mail. Well, Express Mail in the Third World <laughs> took mm. it got to him about a day before he got called to fly, and they put him on the Concorde. He was in Europe in no time and no no rehearsal, just a couple songs at sound check, and bam, you're on. And here's the funny part. Um, I, I told him on the phone, okay, you're coming over. Uh, I normally, on that tour, I had a wig. I said, they're, they're not going to put that on you, and don't worry about the pyro guitar. I'm sure they're not going to have you do that. They had him do it all. Michael didn't want anybody <laughs> to know it wasn't me. And, wow. in fact, he took him and turned his back to the audience so they wouldn't see his face when he was doing uh, Beat It. Well, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, he's he's still got PTSD from that, I bet. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, this is such a big moment. I have to ask you a couple more questions about Michael Jackson gig. It's funny how talking to you suddenly, you just blew my mind. I didn't know David Williams, who is Michael's, one of his favorite musicians that he ever worked with, who played the some of the famous guitar parts, right? Didn't sure. he play the da 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 on like... Oh, he played all that, man. He played uh, all, all the iconic Jackson stuff. Yeah. Okay, wait, now I need a guitar. <laughs> or guitar tech. Wait, pl- play that again. I got this acoustic guitar, this beautiful guitar of Gretchen's. It's a, actually, it's a Steven Strom Eros, and I have uh, nylon core strings on it because I was attempting to play Django licks, but it's just a, a beautiful steel string. True that. Beautiful wide flat neck on it, too. All right. Three, four. I just I never knew much about David Williams and I'm talking to someone who played in a band with him what what was tell us about David Williams this mythic figure yeah. who played on these huge hit songs yeah he he was Mr. Funk and he picked so hard I mean that was part of his sound he would go through four picks in a show I mean he would just saw them up like fender picks those wolves get sawed up yeah I don't know what he used but uh, I I couldn't pick that hard or I would have no knuckles left he, he was a goofy guy. He was yeah. super funny, super funny. I remember 
one time, well, he would do this thing. If he made a mistake on stage, he'd look at the amp like it was the amp's fault. <laughs> That's great. So, <laughs> I use I'm that gonna, sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to steal that, too. What the heck is wrong with yeah. this? We would play yeah. jokes on each other. <laughs> Fantastic. Such as? Yeah. I, Pranks. I, well, Keep I remember the road. one time we were, we were playing um, a, a ballad, and... You know how uh, with, with acoustic guitars, especially when you when you change positions, you can get that string noise. Yeah. And I set out one time to make as much string noise as possible to so get his attention. Yeah, like finally, an electric acoustic. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Gretchen and Zeparella? You guys have done so many tours all over the country, more and more, busier and busier every year. You guys ever prank each other? Yeah. Some sometimes, you know, you'll look at each other in certain moments and when you spend so much time together you can convey a lot with simply eye contact (laughs) there have been a couple of times that i deliberately had to not look at my bandmates on stage because i (laughs) we we had one um there's that motion that moment in the ocean where you get the audience to sing you know and there was one audience that it was totally atonal and arrhythmic and i actually had to turn around because i was laughing so hard i mean it was seriously like you, yeah, know, you don't want to laugh directly we, at them. We try to, yeah, we'll, we'll mess with each other sing. a little bit, but, you know, I try not to mess anybody up. Uh, yeah. You, you have this great video, by the way. People, check it out. Larry DiMarzio's page, DiMarzio Pickups, etc. You're demonstrating the new PAFs. You're playing one of your beautiful new solo pieces. I think you call it Venice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely got to check out the bowing lesson at the end, too. Like, I've known you for 10, 11 years now, but you really have great bow technique. You're giving a Jimmy Page bow lesson, and you're... I don't know anything about the terms, but you're just such straight motion, and you're getting the perfect dazed and confused tones. Yeah, I agree. I saw that recently. It's really dope. I mean, like, like I said, I, w- I was very resistant to doing that just because I thought it was too much, like, shtick. And I think it's really easy when you're trying to honor somebody else's music. As they say, there's that fine line between clever and stupid. But, um, but I think I, I was worried that it would come off as too, I don't know. I just, I just, I didn't want to do anything unless I thought I could actually deliver in a cool way. So I was very resistant, and then I got voted down, so I had to learn how to play a, a Les Paul with a bow. And even in today's world where you can find, like, anything on YouTube, like, Jennifer's like, I learned how to, like, shingle a roof on YouTube. <laughs> like, um, 
I, th- it's I mean, true. there probably is now. I mean, well, I did one, but like, there wasn't a place to go to be like, how do I like play a Les Paul with a bow? It's like you watch old videos and you do a lot of trial and error and you put way too much rosin on your strings. Like, Ooh. you know, a couple of times that was bad. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. But it's actually one of the things that to this day, like even if as we all get, you know, manage time and get busy on like replying to messages and stuff, there've been a couple of people who've hit me up. They're like, I got to play a bow solo in this cover band I'm playing, help. And I'm like, I will always respond to those people because I'm like, <laughs> I feel you. I had yeah. no help. That's awesome. So I don't know if you have a sound person that travels with you, but do you have any plans of ever implementing the thing that Jimmy Page would do where he'd strike the strings and the echo and he'd point the bow to one side and it would come out of that PA column on the left and then he'd put the bow over to the right and then come out of it like, like magic powers. <laughs> I didn't even know that. I think he that does that. Really? I mean, I know he does the strikes and then you have like the slap back. Well, you got to Im- implement that. Sure. When we have that in our budget, <laughs> I will be sure to. Hey, so one last Michael Jackson thing. I understand, Jennifer, that you actually met the man who played the Beat It solo and yeah. showed him how to play. Or he asked you, wait, how did I play it? What did I do? Yeah, that was Where such was a this? surreal day. It was one of those L.A. days. It was just so hot in the summertime. We had about a week or two between legs of the tour. And I showed up to play with a band I had played with before. We had a, a gig booked. And I showed up late and sweaty and just bad attitude. And the manager of the band comes, runs up to my car and says, Eddie Van Halen's next door and he wants you to prove you can play the beater solo. And I just looked at him and said, no. <laughs> you know, I just, no. And uh, eventually his Eddie's tech came over and said, well, will you just come and say hi? And I, oh, well, of course. And so I walked in the studio where they were, and Eddie immediately put the 5150 Strat on me, which anytime a guy puts their, anytime I play a guy's guitar, it comes down to my knees. And I'm, I'm used to kind of a high rider with the guitar. So it was a bit uncomfortable there. Plus, he leaves his Floyd Rose loose, so it's flying all the time. And I do exactly the opposite, so I know exactly where it is all the time. But anyway, I, I, I played it, and then, yeah, he wanted me to show it to him because he couldn't remember how it went. Yeah. I mean, he started fumbling through it and got it very quickly. But I was astounded that even though I had the same notes, he did several things in a much different fingering. And I would have yeah. given anything to have a smartphone back then and film it. And, and I went, actually, I went back to the studio the next day hoping he was there, and he wasn't. Were they recording or something? Or? I, I think he was just checking out gear. Oh, cool. Experimenting. Yeah, and I don't know. But it was sure nice to meet him. And he came next door later to see our band and paid me one of the highest compliments ever, which is something I, I never shared with my mother because he's a potty mouth. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, you're a motherfucker. And the I family just wouldn't quite understand. That's music But talk. I'll take it. I once had the honor of having you for one or two clinics at GIT, like mm. bringing you back. Like, what well, I'm bringing Jennifer Batten back to... that to was alma a, mater. A big moment just to have you there and... But I, I had Mike Stern there once too, and he did something similar. We gave away a guitar, and you know all these kids in the audience, and it was one of his Yamaha guitars. It was a prize. It was like a raffle. And he's like, "Yeah, I was playing that guitar. It's a motherfucker. You guys are gonna love it." <laughs> yeah, Mike Stern was born in the wrong era, man. He's straight out of the '50s. Cool cat. Yeah, yeah totally. And I wanted to maybe you could show us a little bit. Speaking of before we move too far beyond tapping, I mean, you just made such a statement with your your lifetime with that and like, you know, wiretapping columns and all that. Maybe cruising the Nile seems like a really yeah. cool 
thing. Did you play that last night? Or I, I haven't played it in a long time. I kind of retired oh. it, but I, I still show the, the intro to it uh, in, in clinics and stuff. I started experimenting. This is one of the very first things I wrote when I, uh, after, after Steve showed me the basics of tapping, and I started experimenting, go, well, wow, I wonder... And at that time, funk bass slapping and popping was really popular. It almost sounded like drum solos sometimes when they'd go off. So I started experimenting, like, how would it sound if I just slapped the string like that with yeah. my knuckle? Yeah. And... Uh, So awesome. the left hand is just pretty much there for percussion sounds. And anytime you write anything in E minor or B yeah. minor, you can use the natural harmonics to pop. So that inspired the tune. Daniele over here too. He's been wanting to play that piano. What, what do you want to play for us? A little happy birthday? Is that what it was? A D note. A D note? Yeah, here we Rich. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. I can't hear it now. I'm too loud. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was worth the price of admission right there. That's hilarious. This guy cracks me up, Daniele Gretchen. Like, I mean, he, we walk in, he's like, I'm playing Christmas carols. Halloween was last week. It's Christmas carol time. You're shaking your head. We remove also the Christmas tree. He's been singing Christmas carols since August. <laughs> She's not complaining. <laughs> I love that. You're a musical mofo. Oh, there he is. Any, anything you've been working on lately you just wanted to update us? I know you had your episode on the Thank show, you. too. Uh, try to finish uh, the album. Actually, when we did the, the podcast, I was, I'm was i still working on it. It's a never-ending uh, work. But I hope in a few months we'll be, we'll be close to be finished. Hey, I'm right there with you. Let's let's motivate each other. Let's let's race. Or, you what do you mean? Like set a deadline and try to both meet. Ah, it. deadline, absolutely. Yeah. All right, but Beginning we can't say it publicly here. <laughs> Beginning of next year. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe a little bit more, actually. Gretchen's looking at both of us and laughing. No, no. I mean, <laughs> of course, you know how much I love your playing and music and Daniele's um, stuff. I've been hearing it as a progressive. It's, it's, it's really. It would be hard to overstate how cool it is. I'm a, yeah, I'm Compositionally, it's on an, like an, another galaxy. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I really look forward to that, and I'm, I'm not going to be surprised. 
at how amazing it is because I mean I will be. Did that sound come out right? I need more coffee. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, anyhow, so of course I remember when I talked to you about playing with Jeff Beck. Of course, you met him finally. Yeah. Intense story where he's going to come to a Michael Jackson show, and that's like the one show that gets canceled on the tour after two openers go on. Oh, so two openers? I didn't know Michael they played. Cancels. I didn't realize two opening bands played. Oh yeah, played. Kim Wilde I think was one, and uh, I forget the other one. But oh, I was devastated because I knew he was coming to the show, and I was the, the whole cast and crew got on the bus to leave, and I wasn't going to leave because I thought he was still maybe in the VIP tent, and all these crying children and pissed off people are leaving the stadium and i'm going across them to try to get to the vip tent and obviously my hair is three feet tall they know who i am and in hindsight that was a really dangerous thing to do and it turned out he jeff had gotten turned away at the gate because he he showed up late after the announcement had happened anyway so i I called him up the next day and said oh god i don't know when or if they're going to make up the show but can i please meet you anyway and he was totally cool about it. He invited me to a studio. That he was recording his Rockabilly record at the time. And I was telling those guys earlier, I showed up with you know, the old school video camera with two dead batteries. I got about five seconds out of each battery. But just I asked him to play a couple things. And he played, um, one of the things he played was Blue Wind. And I had already learned all the solos and everything from Blow by Blow and Wired. And I didn't realize that he was bending. I was, because I did. Where he was going. Just that little subtle change. It was just like a semester education. Yeah. Like his feeling. His feeling on, like when he played, shocked me. Yeah. Yeah. I needed you on the Ace Freely HG. I needed you. I needed you, baby. Danielle would have known that song. Yeah, you want to noodle for a second? If I, what if I played the Jeff Beck Wired?
Gosh, thanks for doing that. <laughs> you, you're, yeah. You are a guitar player. That's what I could just see. You know, we're all doing all this talking, but I see what you would rather be doing with your life. It's all, you know, it's, I love that. Just playing the guitar, um, if that makes any sense. And, of course, when I I remember the last time I talked to you about Jeff Beck, you said it was actually pretty loud up there, which surprised me. Oh, like my you God. You wouldn't think necessarily that would be the, I mean, I've seen, we, Gretchen and I saw ACDC recently, and, and uh, they were sound checking before the, PA even came on. You could hear it. it was so loud. But you're telling me Jeff Beck is loud? There are frequencies missing in my ears I will never hear again. Yeah, three years. It it got to the point where uh, I tried earplugs, but with a Jeff show, it's not on 11 the whole time. He'll go down to a whisper, and invariably, if I plugs in, I'll find myself on a patch with just ridiculous delay that I, I don't even hear. I'm not hearing the nuance of stuff, so I didn't wear plugs. And sometimes at sound check, my ears would already be hurting and hot from the previous night. And and honestly, I mean, yeah, Jeff is loud as hell. It must have been side fills and stuff. It wasn't just his amps. Like the sound that was surrounding this. He, he was surrounded, yeah. He slaved off the marshals, so he had guitar speakers facing him as as well as regular monitors and PA. It was so 3D. But his his sound is so hi-fi. Honestly, if it was just him... He couldn't ever be too loud for me. It's just delicious sound. But the drums and the bass player chose an EQ so that he could break through the volume that I just hated. And there was so much mids, it was painful to me. And, and you, can't, you can't play Jeff music quiet. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So there was one show in particular at Universal Amphitheater that we did. And the way the PA was placed i couldn't get away from it and that show was so painful plus I, it was all guitar players of course <laughs> you know six thousand yeah. guitar players no pressure <laughs> right right yeah i'm not a fan of volume i never have been and now i i cannot play with a band without some kind of protection it just is painful what so. was the greatest thing you might have learned i mean sharing the stage in studio with jeff beck who many consider to be the greatest electric guitar player of all time there are so many things i learned you know i was in the studio with him uh, for the making of who else or well yeah who else and and you had it coming and there'd be days uh, i'd be all day long and i'd be thinking i don't need to be here for a jeff beck record you know you don't need another guitar player on a jeff beck record even if i'm doing guitar synth but invariably, every single day, he would have some words of wisdom. I'd go, ah, that's the reason I was here for six hours. And one of the things he said, you know, if the drums are really grooving, you don't need much else. Which is a real zen thing to say, because most guitar players are like, here's everything I know on every record. Bam, 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 bam. Right. But with him, it's minimalist and so super effective. Uh, he leaves people wanting more at the end of a record. Well, he, I think he's taught us all, too. you got a great groove underneath, maybe a keyboard patch, a little chord progression underneath. Yeah. You hit one note if you can make it <laughs> yeah. you can make it believable and put your heart into it. That was some of the best things. I mean, obviously, playing with him was great, but hearing his thoughts, whether it was in the studio or whether we were on a long bus ride and we were listening to, um, oh, what's his name, William? He, he produced one of the Madonna records. He had a series of really great records that... That was something I turned him on to. He was mostly turning me on to music. But we'd be listening to stuff, and just his comments were so educational. 
it, it just took yeah. me to a whole other level. Gretchen, you've hung out with Jeff too. I mean, he's like, <laughs> you guys have hung out a couple times when he's, you know, I, I remember you had tea with him or something a couple times. And tea long, and crumpets, madam. <laughs> long discussions. <laughs> what, what did you talk about? I mean, what, what did you pick up from Jeff? Oh, I mean, it was just, yeah. I mean, the coolest thing ever. Um, I mean, I never feel like I need to meet my heroes because I feel like they, they do enough. Like they inspire and, you know, and I don't need to go and get get their autograph or anything. And, and honestly, a lot of times I'm too afraid that they'll be like a jerk and then, they'll like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it'll suck, you know. Then I'll have to like reconcile that in my mind while loving their music. Yeah. Uh, but he was just the coolest, funniest, like, um, he's also, um, he was taking flying lessons. Uh, he didn't actually oh, get yeah. his pilot's license, but so he talked about flying and, um, he did a solo flight though. And he, he, he probably still has PTSD. He talked about that. Oh yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, oh, yeah. it was amazing. I mean, to, to not just get to say, Hey, to like maybe one of your biggest heroes of all time, but to actually get to sit down and like chat and geek out was like, you know, peak experience. I remember you and me saw him once. I, only time I ever saw him embarrassed, he dropped his slide. Right in Angel Footsteps. I was the fastest Ooh, I've seen him yeah. move on stage. But he got it still. Oh, he got it like right back. Like he just like, it fell off his fingers. Like he's, yeah, I've never seen him move that fast. Yeah. He was then. Yeah, yeah. No, it's I love amazing. that. You're on that album, aren't you? The Angel Footsteps yeah, album? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned Angel Footsteps because he always had his back to me when I was on stage. And... It, we had played that live for a good month before I realized that he actually had the slide in his right hand. Well, yeah, and he's playing part. way beyond the fretboard. He's just a freak, oh, yeah, super a freak. freak. I, I actually love the live version. I guess it's got Cal Yuta on drums, Vinny on drums, mm. at, at Ronnie Scott's. Um, you must be on the first track, What Mama's... What Mama you know, said. I, I am, and it's because of Tony Hymas. I was playing that, that intro part. Um, let's see. That's it, yeah. I love the last you end on a, on a chord, the little interval, the fourth or the it's, fifth. It's all fifths. It sounds great. I've never tapped a fifth like that on two different strings. That sounds awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. But I, I was just goofing with this thing, and Tony had just arrived, Tony Hymas, and he came up the stairs and he was listening to it and he goes, something like, that's in. 
so it became the intro. The, the first thing that you hear on a Jeff Beck record is me. Now, how weird is that? <laughs> And I'll tell you, I, you, we were talking about nightmares earlier. There was one one show that we started that, and my whammy pedal was down. So I'm playing a whole step out from anybody, and I'm the first harmony that you hear. So all of a sudden, the band kicks in. I'm going, oh shit! <laughs> Just jump on the whammy pedal to bring it back to the proper pitch. Psych. That's live, y'all. We, we've all been there. Yeah. I started. I was doing a solo show with Kathy Richardson, and I just played a song with a capo at the second fret. And then they started the next song, which started just guitar and voice. Oh, geez. And I start two frets higher. Yeah. And she is such a good singer. She looked over at me, and she's singing, and then like I'm not even throwing her. She's looking over at me. What's up? While completely nailing her part in the right key, and I wow. looked down at my guitar. I'm like, holy shit! And my, it's so embarrassing. I ripped my capo off and moved the part down a whole step, and still just the two of Ugh. us. But I was so impressed with with her ability. Yeah, too. nightmares we have known. Yeah. Um, so your song in the aftermath mm. is kind of similar to Loose Cannon by Jeff Beck. No. Yeah, I I spent almost all the time off when I was with Jeff. When we were doing rehearsals, we'd do five days a week. So I'd be in London by myself for a couple days. And I spent all the time writing for him, sending him ideas and tunes and on and on and on. And I wrote in the aftermath and I sent it to him and they recorded it when Andy Wright was producing. And he did a, a very strange take on it. I mean, Andy's whole thing was very interesting because for the uh, You Had It Coming record, he hired a really killer drum programmer, and the guy would be in one room, and then he'd, when he was done with the track, he would send it next door to the producer and Jeff, and the producer would just play it, and Jeff would react to it and just come up with stuff. And the producer was so fast knowing what parts he could cut together to make a tune. Because Jeff, everything he does is so melodic or rhythmic anyway that it's like, oh, that sounds great. Bam, there's the verse. Bam, there's the chorus. And uh, and the way they treated In the Aftermath was to just have him play the melody three times in a row, and that was the song. And I thought, this is really strange to not break it up with anything or, or have him solo on it. But I thought that's the way it is. I mean, I was with him for almost all the recording of that record, and then... I flew home thinking that song was on the record, and next thing I know, it's not. It's the same exact groove, and then they changed the melody to it. And I love Loose Cannon. We played that live a lot, and it was a really, really powerful tune. But Jeff, is he's very, very generous, and 
so he put me on as co-writer of Loose Cannon because it was originally my song. So a lot of people wouldn't do that. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. He's a good guy. Was Michael a good guy with the business too? I, I don't have any complaints about my paycheck with Michael. It bought me a house and all kinds of fun toys. Um, That's what I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always had a good relationship with him. Now, I guess your most recent thing is Battle Zone with Mark Scherer, yeah. great singer. And when I'm reading up on it, Jim Peterick's behind it. I've gotten to know Jim a little bit you okay. know, from playing double bills and the cruise ship gigs where they have all the bands on the boat and Jim Peterick uh. and the Ides of March. And for anyone who doesn't know Jim Peterick, I mean, he wrote Eye of the Tiger when he was leading Survivor. He wrote like 38 specials, big hits. and Eye of the Tiger bought him a house. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I've, some. <laughs> I've been in one of his garages. Okay. Wow. I, yeah, him and Jeff Beck should hang out probably. It looks like a guitar museum in Jim's house. It's yeah. incredible. Walls and walls of guitars. Yeah, that, that came... Uh, I was asked to fly to Chicago and do some sessions. And... I played on four songs and then flew home, thinking that was the end of it. And a couple months later, they called me back. In fact, it was the most productive recording time I ever spent. I showed up, knocked out those tunes, and then the next morning, uh, Jim had me play a riff. You know, So I started something, and it turned into the song Battle Zone. He's really quick and very creative and goes, okay. And he just... Um, just kind of mumbled lyrics into a cassette recorder and we ended up changing the key and then just growing 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 into a full-fledged song and then they had me come back for some more and then uh, a while later mark the singer called me up and said you know your guitar is like another voice on the record so i want you to be a bigger part of the project and so now my name's on the cover a share batten project should have been batten share no, <laughs> i'm biased and also I'm into alphabetization. <laughs> that's a hard word to say. No, I'm, no, that's that's really cool. And yeah, I love working with people that can produce and like get things moving and finished. Yeah, he's really good at it. It was pretty inspiring. But it, it was the least painful record I've ever done because I didn't know I was making a record. You and know? you start off that song with that big guitar solo. Yeah. The title track you were just talking about. Yeah, they just said go for it and whatever happened, happened and that's the final thing. Some of your songs too remind me of collages, like the vid multimedia experience that when you see your, your when someone sees you play live now. Some of your songs even going back to like ain't nothing like a fast car. Yeah. Like it's by the end of that thing, it's just all these different elements just attacking your senses, and it's so cool and yeah, really goes with the video.
You know what? That that song, I was working with Michael Sambello at the time, and <clears throat> he would get heads up for movies that were looking for tunes. And they, somebody was looking for something that was ZZ Top meets somebody else. And so, you know, I mean, one of my favorite riffs of all time is... So, John Lee Hooker. Like, huh? John Lee Hooker. No, I'm going back before. Yeah, okay. Z- okay. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. The source. ZZ Top, right? Yeah. And it, so I ended up doing what I say ZZ Top on crack. So yeah. it's a little faster than most ZZ songs. Anyway. Hey, it crushes. Well, thank you. So how was your show last night? You hopped right off the plane, went to do the first show of a brand new project that, you know, kind yeah. of a big deal. It's one of those I crazy days that we have in I our I don't know where the energy lives. came from. I got three hours sleep, took a six o'clock flight, went to LA. It was a, a layover there. And oh, and then came back up to San Francisco. Yeah, I was excited to do it, I think. And uh, just a... You know, energy is infectious. So showing up and hooking up with the girls, it was it was a blast. Yeah, it always amazed. I could be on two hours of sleep just dragging, but then when you're on stage, like that adrenaline always kicks in. Yeah, there's an extra battery on stage. <laughs> Very true. So uh, now tomorrow, you're bouncing back down to L.A. We got some drives ahead of us. And then back up. That's how it works. They all These things are always booked with by somebody with a blindfold and a dartboard. <laughs> That's how they book tours. Yeah. Scheduling is not easy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then I'm flying to Philadelphia to do do a thing with Kat Dyson from Prince and Cyndi Lauper. Doing a live interview and some playing. That's great. She's been on the show too, and she's another Blue Amp 1 user. Yeah. Yeah. Kat's awesome. She's a jack of all trades. Yeah, Yeah. I really admire her. Anything else that we we should talk about? Your catios. Talk about cats, yeah. Cats. She builds like, like studio... Like cat patio studios. Oh my god, they're amazing. Yeah, you are a cat person, huh? Oh, well, I've been a dog person my whole life. <clears throat> uh. And after my last dog's passed, I went for five years with nothing. Then I had a friend that had a what she called a, a cat sanctuary. Most people would call it hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I ended up with the most beautiful one of the bunch. And then I thought, well, he needs a friend. And then a year later, I thought, I tried to walk the cats, and that didn't go well, so I got a puppy, and then he needed a friend. <laughs> so, now I have two cats and two dogs. What, what's this cat patio stuff? I'll show you pictures. It's, um, well, the, the thing I knew about cats is that if they love you, eventually they'll bring a dead rat into your bed, and I was not happy about the prospect. Yeah. So, I enclosed the patio so they can't get out, and... And I started building perches everywhere, and I just got into it. Like, it's my train set, and what's next, what's next? And I just showed them that the last thing that I built was a ramp that goes out my bedroom window to this spiral staircase. It's all enclosed. <laughs> that's, there's a platform about 10 feet off the ground with a rain roof, and the cat would go out there in the weather and hang out for four hours and flip off all the other cats in the neighborhood because he had the coolest yeah. thing going. Is it sealed in so that... Yeah. Yeah. You, you, then you can flip off like coyotes and stuff. You can flip everyone off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it there's some... I love your steampunk strap. I mean, I'm just using that word, but it looks very... Oh, it is. It it's all about very steampunk. handmade and... Yeah. I'm really deep into that. And it's one of those things like woke up, steampunk, I must make steampunk things. And so I've, 
I've done probably 20 steampunk sculptures, and my I have a new cover band in the Northwest that I'm dressing them up in steampunk and goggles and top hats and stuff. Right. Something about it that I just dig it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on No Guitar Is Safe. I'm Dream. glad to finally be here on the chopper. <laughs> finally, yeah, you're glad. Me, I've been, you know. Do you ever see Paul Gilbert up in Oregon? I haven't seen him up there yet. No, I, last time I saw him, we were both in Norway. <laughs> you know, funny. we live in the same city, and I don't ever see him. That's how it goes. Yeah. Want to jam a little uh, fade out jam? Okay. Like brush with the blues or something? Or okay. All right. Well, let's take it out in a little brush with the blues. Jeff Beck, thank you so much again, all y'all. You guys had me over. Thanks for being here. I'm waving to you. So. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> this is so no killer. No guitar is safe. I love that pronunciation. No guitar. On the Jeff Beck episode, I actually flew Danielle in for two words to pronounce the, the one name of that great violinist. Ah, uh, yeah, Glauco Bertanin. Yeah, Glauco Bertanin. The Jason Becker episode. I'm sorry, the Jason Becker episode. Right. What did I say? I think you said Jeff Beck, but oh, yeah. maybe yeah, maybe I heard it wrong. Yeah. JB. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. There's all these JBs. JBs. That are great guitar players. We got the JBs everywhere, yeah. including Jennifer Batten. All right. Two, three...
jamming so quiet. This is the quietest <laughs> jam I've had. That's your jam. Keep it alive to you, 95. You too, Daniele, Gretchen, everybody. Tonight in Malibu, tomorrow night, Nevada City. Neely Brosh will be there too. Neely's got a lot of stuff going on too. She's got a new album, Spectrum, coming out in December. And uh, you can also catch Neely with Death Clock, Brendan Small's band from Metalocalypse coming alive on, I think it's November 15th, at a stadium show in LA at Adult Swim Festival. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Safe travels. Thank you, sir. To the God. <laughs> <laughs> no, the time is safe.